The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out of this. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter. Put it in the box. In the history box. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into episode seven of the Mets Baseball Carnival Podcast. I am your host, Zach. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Joe. Joe, how you doing over there? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I got about two feet of snow outside, but other than that, I'm doing doing just swell. How'd you hold up in the uh, in that snowstorm up there in Boston? Uh, wasn't too bad. Not as bad as Jersey, but we, we got a decent amount of snow. Yeah, we got hammered here. And days like today are when I miss living in Miami and not having to deal with this. But we have a uh, we got a great episode today. Really excited. We got our our first guest of the Mets Baseball Carnival. Uh, he's a writer over at Fantrax, and he's a co-host of the Prospect Toolshed podcast over at Fantrax. He's an FSWA and IBWAA member. You'll have to refresh my memory as to what those are. Um, he's also a big-time golfer, and most importantly, Joe, I don't even know if you knew this, he's a big uh, Swifty like me and you. Oh, very <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. So let's, wel- let's welcome in Chris Clegg to the show. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Hey, I'm very honored to be your first guest, but I do have to say, your first guest and you're bringing on a Braves fan. Uh, your, your listeners are probably going to completely tune me out now, but hey, stick I around. I don't put bias into prospects, so you know <laughs> I'll have no Braves bias in this at all. I promise. You don't have any bias, but me and Joe have plenty of Mets bias. So <laughs> that's, that's for sure. <laughs> it's all good, but yeah, you're a Braves fan, and you somehow got assigned to do a uh, a Mets prospect list. I guess you did the NL East prospect list, but uh, you did a great job and. For everybody listening out there, take a look at, at Chris's article that he dropped this week, um, uh, just the Mets' top 20 prospects. It's more fantasy baseball-driven, but a lot of this can kind of transfer over to real-life baseball as well. Um, so he put out a great list, very detailed, and we're going to kind of just dive into it here. So like I said, it's a top 20 list. So Chris, why don't you kind of just take us in and give us a rundown of the top 10? Yeah, cool. So again, this is kind of fantasy driven, but uh, it might come as a surprise that I've got Pete Crow Armstrong at number one. Y'all's a uh, new first round draft pick in the 2020 draft, but uh, PCA is obviously a guy I love, and I think he could even fit first on a you know a generic prospect list because he's elite in the field, and Mets fans are going to love watching him rob home runs. So we got PCA number one, uh, Matthew Allen number two. Number three is Francisco Alvarez. Number four, Brett Beatty. Number five, Ronnie Mauricio, who I am the biggest fan of, according to Eric Cross. Six <laughs> is JT Ginn. Seven, Mark Vientos. Number eight, Alexander Ramirez. Number nine, I'm a butcher the name, Thomas says Pucky. I think I said that right. Zapuki. Okay. Zapuki. Okay. I think it's Zapuki. At least that's what I say. All right, yeah. Zapuki. I like it. <laughs> and number 10, Robert Dominguez. Zapuki is like what you call your girlfriend after a month. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But no, it's a it's a solid top ten. I mean, the past few years they've they've really had a a rough farm system. Obviously, they've had a few trades that Brody made that kind of depleted the farm system. We won't speak of the big name that they uh, traded away, <clears throat> Jared Kalanick. <laughs> but um, 
No, they've, they've actually drafted very well the past years. And I think even you, Chris, have gone on record in saying like their 2020 draft class was probably one of the best of any team. Is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. They honestly, my favorite class of all, obviously one's already been traded and Isaiah Green, who I was a big fan of. He, he would have been in my top 10 for sure. You know, I'm a big fan of him, but overall, yeah, the, the Mets absolutely killed that draft. Yeah, I was sad to see Isaiah Green as part of that deal because I know a lot of people like you and, and Cross have been hyping up Isaiah Green. And um, But, yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to get Francisco Lindor and Carrasco. But uh, he's he's kind of similar to Pete Crow Armstrong. So let's kind of dive into Pete Crow Armstrong here. Obviously drafted, first-round pick, drafted out of high school. He was a Vanderbilt commit and obviously decided to forego that and, and sign with the Mets. But this kid's got baseball in his blood and he he really could be the, the future center fielder that we've been looking for ever since Beltran left. Uh, elite defender, like you said. A lot of people have compared him to like a, a Kalenic light. Uh, if he could maybe bulk up a little bit, I think there are some comparisons. Uh, give us give us some analysis on Pico Armstrong. Yeah, and you mentioned that that's a pretty fair analysis because honestly, when they drafted Jared Kalenic, I was kind of in that boat of I didn't see the power. I really didn't think he would he would develop it, and you know I was completely wrong on that, which I'm okay with. You know he's he's a stud, we know that, but PCA he's across the board. I think he could be a, a definition of what we're looking at as a five tool player. You watch him in the field; he plays elite center field. He robs home runs. Just just go Google and look up one of his highlights in like the the Team USA games. He's like robbing home runs left and right. He's got a great arm. The hit tool very solid. He's fast as lightning. He steals bases with ease. He puts a ball in the gap and he you know he takes third like it's nothing. He gets a triple out of it. And he's just got the pedigree. You watch him play. He's a gamer. He absolutely loves baseball. Hits an average double. The dude's getting hype when he slides into second base. He jumps up, fist pumping. Like he just gets really excited about the game. So I think he's just got the drive and passion to be extremely good. And he was well known. I mean, his name has been known for some time, like on the prep circuits and playing travel ball and high school ball. And people knew this name forever. Went to the same high school as Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, Max Fried, who were actually all in that same in, a, in the rotation at the same time, which is insane. Think about a high school rotation with those three guys. Can't even fathom it. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's that's just nasty. But anyway, I mean, like you said, I mean, the question is, does does PCA's power develop? And I think it does. Here's why. I mean, already out of instructs this fall, uh, very solid reports on the power coming sooner than expected. Hit one that exited at 107 miles an hour, which is a pretty solid exit velocity. At his age, you know, that, that's pretty solid. So I think that there's definitely – development to be had there he's going to bulk up you watch these guys get in on these teams weight the weight programs and their eating programs they have and and i think that it's going to work for pca well and i I see him as like a 280 type hitter 20 home runs 20 stolen bases type guy elite in the field i think mets fans are going to be very very pleased with pca i'm getting over here just listening to that (laughs) joe what do you think about pca yeah he's exciting uh you talked about his pedigree um, the, the kid speaks really well. Uh, he's uber confident. Um, and that just plays into, um, his strengths in the field, uh, with his defense and then his ability at the, uh, at the plate. Yeah. I think he'll fit in very well in New York. Like you said, I've seen some interviews on MLB Network. Like he, he does speak very well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for him in New York. And, um, 
pretty wild that his his mother was in Little Big League. That was the fun fact that was going around during the draft. His mom played the mom, Billy Haywood's mom, in Little Big League. So he's got some uh, some famous friends in the Hollywood circuit over there. But, uh, but, yeah, that elite defense is huge. And I think that's also another big reason why we didn't go after Springer for, like, a, like an extra year or so, like a six six or seven-year deal. I just didn't think it was necessary because they know that this guy is probably, what, like two to three years away? Yeah, he thinks so. I mean, he's only 18. He'll he'll turn 19 in March, so this season he'll be 19. But yeah, I mean, you can probably expect him to be a fast riser. I think he he's just going to develop well and fast. And I wouldn't be surprised if they push him. You know, they, they're going to be itching for that center field with the bat and stuff to come up soon. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I think I've got his ETA 2023, probably late 2023. Yeah, we see that they're in the market for a center fielder right now, like a Jackie Bradley Jr. and Figure maybe like a two to three year deal just to kind of hold them over either JBJ or Nimmo. And then until Pete Armstrong is ready, then it seems like it's his job for the taking. So love that choice as number one. I think Mets fans should be very excited. I'm, I'm still shocked that he fell that far in the draft, but uh, great pick. And let's go to number two, Matthew Allen, another another guy that we're all super pumped about. I know you put out a, a tweet that gained a lot of traction in Mets Twitterverse the other day. Let's hear your thoughts on on Matt Allen. Yeah, he's one that's developed extremely well. I mean, he took advantage of the all-sight and instructs and was just absolutely dominant. You can watch him striking out Pete Crow Armstrong several times, Francisco Alvarez, just just absolutely dominating these hitters. I mean, he his command he commands the pitches so well. He's built very athletically, but also strong at 6'3", 225. He's got such a great frame for pitching. He's just added strength, you know, as he's been in that program I mentioned, you know, out of high school. So young guy, still 19 years old. But I think the Mets got a real steal here. They got him, obviously, in the third round, 2019. Super valuable pick there. I mean, the fastball's up in the mid-90s, gets up to 97. It's great movement, like, and the movement's late too, which is so important. He, the movements when he, he the ball's almost to the plate, the hitters get fooled. He's blowing it by guys. I watched him blow some high fastballs by PCA several times, you know, in these videos we saw from, from Instructs. And he's very comfortable putting it up in the zone too, which is a, a big thing. Uh, I've seen him great, that graded a 70, which is huge. I think it's definitely a plus pitch. The curveball's plus. It's, you know, a huge hammer pitch there. He buries it in the zone well. He's ramped up the changeup usage, which we knew he would have to do to succeed as a starter. Hard to succeed as a two-pitch guy. The changeup has been really developing. It's flash plus. So you look at a guy who three-plus pitches and commands all of them well, you got the makings of a great starter. Like, I look at him as a, a number two type starter, and I think the value is getting ready to take off. Like, when people people that aren't really informed haven't really seen him. Most the average person is not following what's going on at Instructs. So when you see him in game this year, I think you're going to be really surprised and, and very happy with with the development that that Matt Allen's had. Yeah, it was such a weird year last year with the with the alt sites and just minor league baseball being canceled. Like you said, a lot of people really just haven't seen what these kids have been up to recently. So it's been awesome seeing some of these videos circulating on Twitter of uh, them over at the alt site, um, intra-squad games and whatnot. Um, but a lot of footage out there of Allen, and he, he looks really good, and he really does look like a, a future frontline rotation piece. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts on, on Allen? I know you've seen some of these videos circulating lately. 
Yeah, he's he's a big, broad kid. Um, I don't know if this is a reasonable comp, but he, his delivery looks a little bit like Wheeler, um, with the way in which he he kind of extends his his club arm out. Um, it's got a little bit of that type of visual, but this kid's a bulldog. Um, plus fastball, plus plus curveball. Uh, I, I mean, I'm really excited about this guy. He's he's a definitive untouchable, um, especially with with the Mets just dealing um, Josh Wolf. Um, and it was pretty and, crazy. You were telling me before that Wolf was actually taken before Allen in yeah. 2019. Yeah. And Allen's a Boris guy. I mean, I think he, um, the Mets had to overpay over slot for, for this guy, um, for him to fall to the, to the third round. So. Do you remember, Chris? Was he like, like seriously committed to University of Florida? Like most teams just didn't think there was any chance that he would sign and the Mets somehow plucked him and managed to make it happen? Yeah, I think the price tag was really high, and they knew that a lot of teams knew that he was commanding that price because he wanted to go to Florida. But obviously, if any team was going to meet the price tag, he was going to sign and go, you know, go pro. And that's exactly what the Mets did: is they they gave him first round money, which again, great move. <laughs> so, and that was when so Brett Beatty it was Brett Beatty one, Josh Wolf two. So I guess they paid them under slot, and then they went over slot on Allen. Yeah, which made it happen. It's it's pretty wild. It's so different than like the NFL draft and other drafts. It's uh structure's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, but that's for a different conversation. But Matthew Allen, really love what we've seen from this kid so far. And I think this is gonna be a huge, huge year development wise. So uh be on the lookout for Matthew Allen, future fixture in that rotation. And like Joe said, I'm pretty sure that this kid is untouchable moving forward. Um, so let's get to number three here, Francisco Alvarez. Um, one of the top catching prospects, probably number two, um, maybe behind Rutschman for the top catcher spot, but international signee a few years ago, and he's really heating up in prospect circles. He looks really good in a lot of the, the film that's been making the rounds. I know you put another tweet out about Alvarez the other day. Uh, let's hear what, what you have to say about Francisco Alvarez. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, only name, only catching prospect name that I would have ahead of him is Adley Rutschman. Joey Bart's falling behind him for me because Alvarez, he can be elite. At 17 years old in 2019, he absolutely tore up the Appalachian and Gulf Coast League. He slashed 312, 407, and 510, 182 plate appearances, hit seven home runs at 17 years old. Just want to make sure you heard that right. He's 17. was dominating <laughs> like that with the bat. Uh, I mean, he's got good ability behind the plate as well. His arm is fantastic. He's got a great glove. And the Mets are committed to keeping him there. And he could easily be on the fast track to the major leagues like and debut at a young age because his bat's so advanced. But I think they're going to take their time. I really do because they want to see him develop behind the plate fully and stick there. And I 100% think that's what happens. Like, he's a future top five catcher in baseball if all continues to develop right. He's been showing the ability to hit to all fields with power, uh, barrels the ball well. He gets great bat speed. He recognizes the strike zone well. He's able to take a walk. His swing's really geared more for line drives, but he also has shown the ability to hit some deep fly balls as well to the pool side. The pool side power, I think, obviously plays up in his home runs, but I think as he continues to develop and can hit to the opposite field more, which he has been showing at the outside from what my understanding that that will really go a long way for him to be a really advanced hitter. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him jump and be the top prospect in the system at any point. I honestly thought that Alvarez was going to be your number one prospect. 
considered. All all three of those guys are, are pretty close, honestly. And, and like my overall rankings got them all pretty close. So it could have gone either way with any yeah. of the three. So you said he has a plus arm and a great glove. I mean, I feel like it's just so common for catchers to move off catcher, whether it be third base or first or even corner outfield. I mean, do you think that there's a, a really good chance that this guy sticks long-term at catcher? Yeah, from my understanding, the Mets want that. And so how long is the question? Like, we obviously some guys come up and play catcher for a couple of years and move off. So I think that's more the question, like – when does he move off? I don't know if he does it all. Yeah. Hopefully he sticks there because I think there's a lot of value there. He's not, Obviously he could play elsewhere. He's not a great runner, so you're not really putting him anywhere other than like first or, or left maybe. But, I mean, he's got a good enough arm. He could go out to the, the corner outfield spot. But I really do think they want him to, to stick at catcher as long as possible. Yeah, I mean – the catcher position for the Mets has just been a complete crapshoot the past few years. I mean, they brought in Darno a few years ago, and he was supposed to be uh, – he was the top prospect that everybody was thinking, and that didn't pan out. And, of course, he went elsewhere, and it worked out. Um, but hopefully Alvarez does stick behind the plate. Joe, do you think we could see him stick behind there? And Do you have any thoughts on Alvarez? I hope so, and I think with the McCann signing and the length of contract they gave him lines up really well with Alvarez's ETA um, 2023. So they're in absolute no rush to get him to the major leagues. Um, I think as Chris mentioned, allowing this kid to develop behind the plate, and hopefully he sticks and he's the guy that that follows up McCann. Yeah, I, and that's I've got a couple questions like that of people saying, does the McCann signing affect Alvarez's value at all? I'm like, no. Like we got to realize like. He's years away, and that's okay. Like, he's not. He, I mean, right now he's only 18 years old. He he just turned 19. Excuse me. He's he's just not ready. So he's got to take time to develop. And catchers take longer to develop. So he, he'll follow in after McCann. Things will be great, hopefully. Yeah, you don't want to rush the catching prospect. It's one of the positions I would say you don't want to rush uh, at all. So I think they're going to wait this out probably like two to three years, probably closer to three, and then. McCann signed what? It was a four-year deal. So, I mean, if they overlap for a year, I mean, McCann, I'm sure, would be a great mentor for Alvarez, and I think it'll be great. And I think I think Alvarez is one of the main reasons why they didn't feel the need to to overspend on JT Realmuto. Yeah. So, Alvarez, another name to watch. I know Mets fans are going to be super excited about him. Number four on the list is Brett Beatty, first-round pick from 2019. Possibly the heir apparent to third base. Uh, third third base is very wide open for the taking right now. Right now, J.D. Davis is there, and I don't think that's a long-term fit. Jeff McNeil showed last year that he is not comfortable playing third base every day. So hopefully Brett Beatty can stick at third. Chris, what, can, what else can you tell us about Brett Beatty? Yeah, and I think he just kind of fits this mold of the Mets, just dominating drafts. I mean, they did that right here, getting getting him 12th overall in 2019. He had some of the most raw power in the draft class, and he debuted in the short season in 2019, played three different levels. Like, that's how confident they were. They bumped him up all the way to low A in you know a couple months' time in 2019. He sl- slash line, yeah, he hit 234 and got on base, though, at a higher clip, you know, 368 OBP, so, you know, walking at a little higher rate there. Good power, hit seven home runs. He generates great bat speed. Gets a lot of loft on the left side of the plate. There's big home run power here. And 
kind of comped him to Nolan Jones, who we know is like a top 50 prospect. Beatty's not quite there because of the hit tool development, but OBP skills, like real life getting on base, like he's got it. He's going to get on base at a high clip, works deep into counts. So I like Beatty. I think that he really bulked up. He showed the alt site in great shape, added some strength, added muscle, but was slimmer in a way. And the biggest hindrance here is this hit tool. Like, how well does the hit tool develop? Right now, it's probably below average. If it can get to average, then you're looking at a very solid player, like 30 home run bat, if he can just hit 250, I think. Third base, long term for him. Do you think that's on the table? I've seen some reports of maybe some poor defense over at third and possibly first base or corner outfield in the future. It's definitely possible. I mean, he needs to develop on both sides of the ball more. I mean, he's got to develop the bat a little bit. He's definitely got to develop the glove a little bit. Wouldn't surprise me to see him move. I'd say it's probably a 50-50 chance right now that he sticks at third. And so first base is probably the most likely. But, I could, you know, corner outfield spot as well is, is definitely possible. Joe, what do you think about Beatty? Yeah, I mean, uh, below average uh, defense, but um, – I don't know. I think the same was said about David Wright um, as he worked his way through the system. And, and we kind of saw what he was able to do with his work ethic and, and really focus on the defensive side of the ball. And um, I think that turned out well. First base is awfully crowded at the moment for the Mets um, yeah. with uh, with Dom Smith and and Pete Alonso. So, um, I mean, it's looking like his ETA might be 2022. And, and that, I mean, first base is occupied. Um one and two deep, depending on what, what takes place with the DH in the National League. But um, third base is a huge question mark. And Sandy's come out and said, he, I think he, he he's not um, – I don't think they, they hold uh, J.D. in high regard. Uh, the only Met to go to arbitration, um, which I think took place this week virtually um, between the parties. So I think that, that just tells you how they view um, – how they view J.D. Davis long-term, and, and hopefully it lines up with, with Beatty's ETA and his continued development that maybe we can slot him in there relatively soon. Yeah, I think the next year or two is going to be key for his development. I mean, if they feel that the defense is not there, is this a piece that maybe they offer up in trades if they're trying to compete the next two years? Because there's some other guys that we're going to touch upon shortly here who um, – Depending on what happens with Lindor, if Lindor is locked up long-term, maybe somebody else shuffles over to third base. So Brett Beatty is an interesting name to watch. I know people were super excited about him, but he's kind of slid down maybe a little bit the past year just due to a great draft in 2019 and 2020. So we'll see what happens with Brett Beatty and if he's the future third baseman of this team. But next, let's touch upon Ronnie Mauricio. Um, I know Chris has kind of lit the baseball world on fire with his hot takes of Ronnie Mauricio. So why don't you tell Mets fans what they can expect from, from Ronnie Mauricio? Yeah, people get so worked up about it just because, like, I've got him outside of my top 100 for fantasy. And How dare you? You know, I, I saw now on Rotowire, James Anderson had him at 111, so it made me feel a little bit better, like about my take, because you know that was my take months ago, and I, he just updated his. I was like, oh, you know, that makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I wasn't like crazy on this take. But no, I watched Mauricio several times in 2019. He was in Columbia, South Carolina, with the Fireflies, which is Met Single A team, so pretty close to me. So called him several times. I mean. Right now, I think you're just dreaming on the projectable frame. He's six foot three, 166. So I think all the power that you're hoping develops comes from him bulking up, which hasn't come yet. He's always been young for his, his 
his level, which I'll give him a pass for. Like he's always been the youngest one everywhere he's been. So you can give him a pass in that way. I wouldn't say he's necessarily struggled at all, but the power really hasn't been there. Now there's some times when he goes and gets pitches that are like, man, you shouldn't be able to hit that pitch. Like you see these, somebody throw in a, a low and inside curveball to him at the left side of the plate and he knocks it out of the park. Like pretty impressive to get the bat there and, and hit it out. So I just, I struggle with the fact that a lot, I read a lot of prospect guys saying that this dude's got plus power. He's going to hit 30 bombs and I just don't see it. I see him as like a 20 home run bat. He's got a solid hit tool. So I don't see him being a big threat on the bags either. The, the speed's going to decline a little bit as he does fill out his frame. He's not going to be a big stolen base threat. Hits the ball on the ground a lot too, which is a concern. I mean, he hit the ball on the ground nearly 54% of the time in 2019. Again, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's the youngest at his level by about three and a half years. So he was facing a lot of older pitchers. But I'm just not believing in the plus power that, that many said that they think comes. I think he's more of like a, an average power, like 20 home run bat, solid hit tool. He's going to be great in the field. He's, he's a good glove, got a plus arm as well. So I don't know. I'm just a little lower on him than most. And yeah, I've become the Ronnie Mauricio hater in the fantasy baseball community, but I don't really hate the guy. I mean, I just don't think that he's a superstar like many people think. Just my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think 20 home runs is, is reasonable. Uh, it's pure projection at this point because he's so young, but I don't think that's completely blown out of proportion. So I don't think everybody should be giving you the heat that they're giving you with that. Um, but when you're talking about the 53% ground ball rate, it sounds like you're talking a little bit about Vlad Jr. over there. Right. Yeah. Whole Vladdy can't keep the ball in the air at all. So a much thinner, scrawnier <laughs> version of Vlad Jr. <laughs> He's like the anti Vlad body wise. <laughs> It's it'll be interesting to see what happens because obviously Mauricio was not included in a Lindor deal. They decided to part ways with Rosario and Jimenez instead. So uh, it seems like they do think highly of Mauricio, and it's possible that maybe Mauricio is the like we were just talking about. Maybe he is the third baseman, especially if they lock up Lindor. Joe, where do you think Mauricio fits into this team's plans? That's a good question. I think it's a lot has to do with um, how they handle Lindor. And the type of extension, if they are able to sign an extension with them, I think they will. They'd be, they'd be, uh, uh, it, it would be unwise to, to have him as a rental player for, for one year. Um, agreed. But I, I mean, this guy is someone who most Met fans would expect to see at the top of uh, a prospect list ever since we signed him in 2017, um, from the international pool. I think he signed for like over 2 million, which was pretty, pretty big money for a signing bonus. Um, yeah, I mean, tall, tall guy, 6'3", 166 pounds, um, as Chris mentioned, and he, he's got some some frame to build into, and I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, the Mets were pretty heavy, pretty rich in, in that shortstop position with uh, Jimenez and, and Rosario at one point being the top prospect in, in baseball. So um, now we've thinned out, but, I mean, we brought in Lindor, so... I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think it's completely worth it. But yeah, they've they've done a good job of evaluating talent at the shortstop position. So hopefully Mauricio turns into something. I mean, I know the past, I think it was at least last spring training, maybe the prior spring training as well. I mean, he's gotten spring training at bats and he's actually looked pretty decent up there. He doesn't look lost at the plate. I mean, he looks like he belongs. So I, I think that there is a future for him with this team. 
Yeah, and I, I think the Mets believe in him. I really do. Like I mentioned, the glove plays up, so he's going to move up on the real life prospect list. Like for fantasy purposes, I ding him a little bit because I don't factor in the glove as much, but he, he's going to bump up on a real life list. I think MLB Pipeline has him number one because he's you know plus defender, plus arm, and I I do think the Mets believe him. I really do think, but I just think that some prospect evaluators are just a little high on the power. So that that's kind of where I ding him. It's just. Yeah. 20 home runs instead of 30. But, you know, you'll take that. Yeah, definitely. Is there is there a shortstop that's playing right now that you can comp him to? I'm bad with, like, You're bad at comps. player comps. <laughs> I can give you – like, I, I feel better about, like, statistical projections. So, like, you know, you're looking at, like, a 275 average, like, 20, 22 home run bat. But I don't know. Like, player comp, I've just always struggled with. <laughs> the one – I forgot to mention it before. The one comp that I was thinking of for – for Pete Crow Armstrong was Andrew Benatendi if Andrew Benatendi actually panned out. And I think a lot of Mets fans would be happy with that because Benatendi was a huge top prospect and everybody thought that he was going to be the next big thing. But Mauricio, I don't know. I was trying to think, like I was thinking maybe Correa, um, but it, it's tough. I agree. It's tough to put a, a comp out there. Uh, that's he's a bold. got the frame of Correa, so yeah, it's pretty fair. And he's not going to run that much and. I mean, Correa, Correa's mostly been health. I don't know if Correa is a 30, 35 home run guy either. But, but yeah, we'll see. But let's, uh, let's get to number six here, a guy that I'm super excited about. Once again, Chris really was hyping up Mets Twitter this week. He put a, a good tweet out there about JT Ginn and, and JT Ginn, um, coming off of Tommy John surgery, he was actually drafted by the Dodgers in 2018 out of high school, did not sign, went to Mississippi State. And re-entered the draft, and he, he his stock took a huge plummet because of the surgery. But, I mean, it seems like a lot of evaluators were saying that JT really should have been – I always do that. I always call them by their first name like we're best buds. JT Ginn should have been a first-round talent if he didn't have the surgery. So tell us a little bit about JT Ginn and what we can expect in the next few years here with him. Yeah, and you mentioned you brought up a good point. He's, he was talented enough to be selected by the Dodgers out of high school in the first round, which speaks a lot of volume to me of what the, you know, the Dodgers are pretty good evaluators of talent. They obviously didn't meet his asking price. He went to Mississippi State. He was SEC freshman of the year, which is absolutely dominant in the toughest conference in college baseball. Uh, he was definitely on track to be a first rounder again. He was a draft eligible sophomore because of age and Unfortunately, at Tommy John, only had three innings. So all we have to go off of is his freshman season and then three innings of that, that sophomore season. But obviously the, the Mets didn't shy away from him. They gave him first round money. They took him in the second round, but they ponied up $2.9 million for him. Like they were willing to get him and they wanted to get him. They had, I heard they had their eye on him in 2018 out of high school and you know, they were going to get their guy. His fastball, just absolutely nasty, gets up to 97, great life to it. Surprisingly, doesn't induce a ton of whiffs because it's more of a sink action. He kind of pitched a ground ball contact there, but it's weak contact. When he, when he gets the contact there, it's, it's not solid contact at all. The slider, it's a wipeout pitch. He uses that to get his strikeouts. It's a fantastic pitch. I think the changeup is still developing, and that's what kind of separates him from Allen at this point is Allen's changeup has developed a little more. And so something Ginn will still have to work on, but it, it has shown flashes of being a plus pitch, in my opinion. The command and control is is great. His pitches move like he gets a ton of spin on him, and they move at like crazy rates. So like think of like a Dustin May, like how Dustin May's balls are moving around through the zone, and Ginn still commands him well. In his freshman year, 
86 innings at Mississippi State, struck out 105, walked just 19. That was a 30% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate, which is very solid. Uh, should be back to game action mid mid 2021. So we'll see how the velo looks when he returns. But dude, he's going to be a big riser up rankings once he gets back. Like people are going to fall in love with this guy. He's he's a true stud. Yeah, I'm excited about this kid. Uh, obviously, the surgery dropped him down, but I think if he sits out this season or even comes back halfway through, I think they got a huge steal. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited for this kid. He kind of, uh, I was watching some of the videos. He kind of reminds me of little Sonny Gray. That was the comp that I was going to put on him. Um, doesn't look too big out on my, I don't know exactly how big Sonny Gray is, but what, JT Ginn's like what, like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, or something? Yeah, he's just 6'2", like I think okay. Gray is like 5'11", if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But, but there's, I see what you I see the similarities for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited for the future of Ginn. Um, and he could be a fast riser, like we said, went to Mississippi State. So he's got some college ball experience under his belt. And I think maybe 2022, 2023, we'll see. Joe, what are your thoughts? Uh, you're the former pitcher over there. Is there anything that you saw on film of JT Ginn that piques your interest? Uh, I threw the ball a little bit. It just so happens that the coach put me six feet, six inches from the plate. Um <laughs> Not nearly yeah, I mean, as hard as JT Ginn. Throughout. No, I hey, I wish, man, but um, <laughs> short, short as I tried. But uh, I mean, limited body of work, um, given the the injury to Tommy John. But um, as Chris pointed out, uh, elite stuff within the SEC, which is the best conference in, in college baseball. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this kid and, and seeing him come back from from Tommy John and and just pitch, and then we'll see we'll see his rise through the through this through the system. And one of the videos that was making the rounds was he, he was facing, facing Josh Jung of the Rangers, who's uh, a big talent, top prospect. So he clearly has faced some, some good competition compared to some of these young high school pitchers who you never know if they're going to pan out. So I think this was a great pick. Uh, this was like the 2020 version of Matthew Allen for 2019. They really got a bargain. So JT Ginn at number six. Mark Vientos, number seven, uh, third base infield. Uh, kind of not really sure what is his long-term position. Um, I don't know. I don't have a great feeling about Vientos long-term with this team. Um, I, I get Wilmer Flores vibes from Vientos, maybe like a utility guy. And I don't know if he's going to ever carve out a starting role or if he'll be trade bait. But what can you tell us about Ventos? Van- Vientos? Yeah, this is kind of where the system falls off, in my opinion. You have like a a top six that's very solid, and then this is kind of the next step down. Yeah, like if we those were the untouchables. It. Yeah, so then you we're looking getting into the next tier here. It just feels like we've been waiting on him to break out for so long. You're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and and nothing's happened. And he's big kid, six foot four, one eighty five, drafted second round out of high school in 2017. American Heritage High School in Florida was a big talent there. I had a, he was honestly first round talent, but his senior season kind of caused him to fall in drafts, but the Mets paid the slot value that he wanted. It kept him away from Miami where he was committed. Uh, there were moments where he really flashed his offensive upside in, in 2018. You know, he slashed 287, 389, 489 with 11 home runs in just 60 games in the Appalachian League. Slow start in 2019 in Columbia, but he finished the second half well. There were some solid splits there. I think, by the, in the second half of that season, he was hitting like 270 as opposed to like 200 in the first half. 
he posts like big exit velocities. There's plus power. The question is, will he make enough contact? So we have to, will he make enough contact to really tap into this power? And I think it's important to remember, again, he just turned 21. He's still young, feeling like he's been in the organization forever, honestly, but he's still time for him to develop and hard to project right now. Hard to project what the bad looks like. It's hard to project what, where he plays in the field. He's kind of a question mark to me, but right now I'm, you know, thinking something like a 240, 250 batting average. He's got 25 home run pop, but obviously if he makes more contact, 30 plus home run power in the bat. Like he's got that kind of raw power. Does this give you Wilmer Flores vibes, Joe? Um, a little bit. I mean, do you think the lost minor league season hurt him more, most out of the top, top eight than anyone else? It could have. Now, I think the, Alt site and instructs were really good for some people. Like it was great for some of these younger guys, but it's awkward for people like him who, you know, turned 21 and it, it would have been a big development year for him if he had a full minor league season. So this is the kind of player that I definitely think it hurts. You know, while it may have helped like a PCA who jumped right in and got to work, I think Vientos was honestly could have been hurt by this. It could have caused him to fall even further behind. So we'll see where he is to start the season, but no, I definitely agree with that. And he could be maybe on the fast track more so than some of these other prospects. He's a little bit further along, 2017 drafty. So we'll see what happens with Vientos and how that pans out. Um, number eight is Alexander Ramirez. We can kind of speed up with these last few here because uh, we've reached the second tier here. Uh, but Alexander Ramirez was a, a 2019 international signing. I know there's a lot of people who are, are pretty high on him. He's uh, kind of reached maybe... Not really top 100 status, but he's kind of creeping up to to that area. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on on Ramirez, and what can we expect from from this international signing? Yeah, and it's much like Mauricio. There's a lot of projection here. Big kid, he stands six three, but weighs 170, so got a little bit more bulk than Mauricio. But very athletic, advanced field to hit, good eye for the strike zone, could post high OBPs. Like he he knows when to take a walk, consistent contact. Sprays line drives to all fields. We'll see how the home run power develops. I think that's kind of the question. But obviously, like with Mauricio, I think the frame, a lot of scouts look at and say it's projectable, like projectable power within the frame. Just turned 18 uh, a couple couple weeks ago, so he's still a really young guy. A lot of time for him to develop. I think that he did have some struggles at the alt site. And so this year could be kind of a bumpy road for him, but it's a big development year for him. So he's going to have some ups and downs, but I wouldn't be too concerned about him because I think that this is the kind of development year he needs, like a full minor league season. So even if it is bumpy, I think it'll be really good for his future development. Yeah, I agree. This is a big year for him. We've seen a lot of international signees, outfielders that maybe just really weren't very highly regarded, kind of have a great season at single A, double A, and then they just make a huge jump up the prospect list. So it's possible that Ramirez could be that guy. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what he what he can do. Anything you want to you want to add on Ramirez, Joe? Or do no, you want to get to your your prize possession here at number nine? <laughs> <laughs> Zapuki? Yeah, <laughs> he's more your prize prize possession. Yeah, you're guess. right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, with Ramirez, I mean, 6'3", 170, uh, there's room to add some muscle and, and hopefully, I mean, he's 18 years old, kid's young, um, hopefully with a, a full season of minor league ball and development, we'll, we'll see how that kind of shapes up at the end of the season. But, um, yeah, I mean, more, more to come. 
is there any relation to the Alexander Ramirez and the Angel system? I don't know, but that'd be funny if they were like twin <laughs> brothers with the same name but different middle names or something crazy like that. It's, it's like Victor Mesa and Victor Victor Mesa. Right. <laughs> so we'll see how Ramirez pans out for the Mets. But number nine is Thomas Zapuki. Zapuki. I don't know. I just I, I call him Zapuki. I don't even know if it's right, but I'm going to stick Zip, with it. Zapuki. Okay, it is. All right, good. Um, Zapuki, I've been I've been high on for the past few years. He he got hurt. He was a 2015 draftee and uh, out of high school, and he had a couple of injuries. He had a back injury, shoulder injury, and then there was Tommy John in there where he missed all of 2018, and he came back. I think it was like in the middle of 2019. Um, but he looked a little bit rusty at first, but he's starting to come around and it's possible due to this injury history, it's possible that he might be more of a bullpen piece moving forward. Although, I don't know, the Mets, they've had a history of having some, some top-notch left-handed prospects come up between Steven Matz, obviously did not pan out. And the other one that comes to mind is Jonathan Neese, who also did not really work out. So hopefully, Zapuki works out a little bit better than them, but his time is, is coming close. I expect him to kind of make an impact in 2021 if he can stay healthy. Uh, what can you tell us about Zapuki there, Chris? Yeah, it sounds like this is y'all's boy. Y'all probably know him better than me, honestly. <laughs> but I think the the fastball-curveball combo is pretty solid, arguably both plus pitches. I mean, he gets a lot of strikeouts with that, with both those pitches. The injury history is what concerns me. I mean, he had a back injury in 16, shoulder injury in 17, obviously the dreaded Tommy John in 2018. It's pretty solid when he returned, though, in 2019. I mean, had a 2.63 ERA, 27% K rate in 61 innings. The walks were a little concerning at 10%, but you can deal with that. I think that there's some some bullpen risk, but if he gets the command right and the changeup develops, I think that he could stick as a starter. But I do think he probably comes up this year in the pen and at least starts in the pen. They kind of see where he can go from there. Yeah, and this is a team that really could use a lefty out of the bullpen. Um, what We have Jerry Blevins, who was signed to a minor league deal. We've got um, Aaron Loop, who was just signed. They missed out on Brad Hand, so it, it does seem like a lefty out of the pen this year could be helpful. Do you think we see him in 2021, Joe? And what, what are your long-term, um, what's your long-term outlook on Zapuki? Yeah, I think it's plausible we see him in 2021. Um, I think there was some some conversation about him even breaking with the team for 2020, uh, the short season. Um, really, I don't remember that. No, wasn't there some competition between him and Peterson, if I'm not mistaken? Or maybe there's some like. Some uh, some selfish Possibly. desire to see him on the Midwest no, roster. I think you're right, but um, yeah. Again, I mean, a tough injury history with this guy, but uh, as Chris noted, coming back in 2019 looked pretty good. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the Mets brought in some um, some really good left-handed arms uh, this off season. Um, I don't know if that pushes him back a little bit, but it's going to create a lot of a lot of really good competition. I think in spring training and. I mean, we'll, we'll see what what, um, what this guy's got. Yeah, all it takes is one injury to a lefty, and Zupuki could get the call. So really excited about him. I know I have him stashed in a few Dynasty Fantasy Baseball Leagues. Uh, we'll see if that works out. But Zupuki, number nine, and number 10, Robert Dominguez. I'm not going to lie, I really don't know much about Dominguez, so I'm going to rely on Chris to kind of uh, fill us in here on Dominguez, another international signee from 2019. Right. 
Well, what we know is minimal, honestly. I mean, we don't have a ton to go off of, so it's tough. I mean, he was 2019 international signing, like you mentioned. was actually eligible in 2018, so he's a little older when he came out. Uh, he, he moved the DR to continue his development. He was originally from Venezuela, uh, big boy, 6'5", 195. kind of that tall, lanky frame right now. Just turned 19. The fastball was hitting 99 before he even turned 18. Gets spins the pitches like ridiculously well, gets a ton of swing and misses. I even saw I think the prospect live guys had him at number five like for the Mets system, which is insane. Really? Yes, wow. they they're really high on him. But you know, I, I have a hard time bumping him higher when I haven't seen in game yeah. action. And so I feel like ten was pretty generous where I have have him right now. I mean, could use some refinement on his mechanics a little bit, needs to develop the change. But again, he's so young, so you kind of expect that to happen with time. Tools are there to be a really solid starting pitcher. So, you know, don't be surprised to see him kind of be dominant and like rookie ball this year and see him make a big jump up rankings. It is really tough. It is really tough to, uh, to kind of grade these guys when you haven't really, when there's not too much footage of them out there, uh, especially the international signees and with the 2020 season just kind of, um, just not happening for a lot of these minor leaguers. It's, it's tough to grade these guys, but I'm curious, Chris, like in your process, like how are you, how are you doing these rankings? Like what makes one person number nine versus 10? Like what are you going off of, especially when there's not too much footage to go off of? Yeah. And at a certain point, there's like, you know, there's not that much difference. And like, if you, you think about a fantasy baseball, like prospect list. So how much difference is there between like the guy ranked 150 and 300? In reality, there's, there's not a whole lot like, of differential when those guys. And so like, you know, when you, when I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at future projection, like ETA, so like how close they are, like how good can they be? So the upside and the floor combo, like the more I've, you know, really watched these prospects, like I really want to focus in on the floor first. Like they need to have a solid floor to have a lower bust rate. Obviously a lot of prospects bust. Like that's kind of what we've come to know and expect. It just, just happens. A lot of guys don't pan out and it's the reality of it. But when you get a good combo of floor and ceiling and then you, you try to throw the grades on them, which, you know, it's hard to do. I don't, don't love like trying to do all these grades. It's hard to do and there's no perfect way to do it. But, you know, the combo of floor and ceiling, ETA. And so, you know, like Suspuki, who is a spot ahead of Dominguez, like could Dominguez end up being significantly better than him? Yeah, of course, but he's further away. There's some risk because there's a lot of unknowns with him. Like, you know, we, we see the risk. For Sapuki, injury-wise, but, you know, he's been solid when he's pitched. And so we've seen him pitch. We've seen him be solid in the minor leagues. And so it does make it a challenge. But at some point, you just have to, like, settle in on a spot. You know, you could a lot of these guys, you know, Freddie Valdez, he could easily be 10. He could easily be 17. You know, there's not a whole lot of difference here. And so it does make it tough to fully, like, describe the process. But, like, based on what I'm seeing, like, grade-wise, like, future projection, like, the body – there's a lot of things to go into it, but again, like I said, when you get to this point, it's, there's not a whole lot separating. Very interesting stuff. Good insight from a, a prospect mind. Um, so that's the top 10 right there for the med system. Uh, let's run through one more time. So number one is Pete Armstrong. Number two is Matt Allen. Three is Francisco Alvarez. Four is Brett Beatty. Five is Ronnie Mauricio. Six is JT Ginn. Seven is Mark Vientos. Eight is Alexander Ramirez. Nine is Thomas Sapuki. And 10 is Robert Dominguez. 
So, um, like I said from the beginning, Chris did a top 20. Um, instead of going through 10 to 20, uh, I just kind of want to pick out, maybe each of us just pick out one here that stands out, um, something that we're just kind of uh, intrigued by, by one of these guys in 10 to 20. So, Joe, let's start, let's start with you. Is there anybody from this 10 to 20 range um, from Chris's list here that you think could make an impact in the near future or somebody that you're excited about that maybe is a few years away? Yeah, I think the lowest hanging fruit is Franklin Killame. Um, he came over in the deal from Philadelphia. Um, I think there was a, a recent video of him working with Pedro Martinez uh, <laughs> this off season. Um, I mean, good guy, to, good guy to learn from. But yeah, I mean, he he's reached the MLB level. Um, I think he's he's the lowest hanging fruit to make some type of impact um, on this roster in 2021. He kind of gives me some Jerry's Familia vibes. Uh, Familia came up as a starter mm-hmm. and moved to the bullpen, and he was actually very successful for a few years there. So hopefully, Kilome, uh, we've seen that high velo from him, and he actually looked pretty good towards the end of the season, had a few outings where he looked good. So I agree with you there, Joe. I think Kilome could definitely make an impact this year, probably more out of the pen, especially with all the depth pieces that the Mets added this year. So that's definitely a name to watch. Um, what was the deal? Was he in the Jay Bruce deal? Do you remember, Joe? I think it was Jay Bruce. Jay yeah. Bruce to the Phillies, yeah. So, yeah, Kilme, that's a good call there. Uh, Chris, is there anybody that stands out to you from that 10 to 20 range? Yeah, Jalen Palmer's one that I really like a lot. Uh, he's a, a former 22nd rounder in the 2018 draft. He went kind of unnoticed in high school for kind of a one reason. He didn't really take off until late. <laughs> so his sophomore year, he was five foot five, and, you know, he probably wasn't hitting the ball well, didn't have any power, and then – by his senior year, he was all of a sudden six foot three and had gained fifty pounds to his frame, which is kind of unbelievable to think about a guy growing that much that fast. But hit, pu- hit puberty late. <laughs> yeah, he, he took off, but I mean, now he's now six three, one ninety five. Who knows? He could have could have kept growing, but dude's an elite athlete. Uh, the exit velos when he makes contact were were huge. I mean, he can absolutely tank some bombs, and he was doing that obviously. at in 2019, before in the shortened season, we saw him come up and do that. And then 2020, the alt site, he'd been solid. I think there's some concerns with the hit tool, but the power's there. I think, you know, if he could be a 250 type hitter, he's going to tap into enough power and be a really solid hitter. So could be a, a real steal in the 22nd round and, and be this late bloomer that really takes off. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was looking through your list and I really hadn't heard of Jalen Palmer too much. And I saw that video uh, that was posted of him from Kingsport in 2019. And that was a bomb that he yeah. hit. Uh, definitely has a nice swing. And yeah, that would be cool if this, if this works out for him. Uh, could be another third baseman on the radar in the next few years. Like you said, like 2023 ETA. Um, so yeah, Jalen Palmer was a good one. I have to ask, I was looking through your list, and you seem really high on Carlos Cortez. Uh, can you give us a quick tidbit on him? Uh, there might be some bias because I'm a, a huge University of South Carolina Gamecock fan, so ah, I spent a lot of time watching him, and he was you know, very, very solid in, in college. And you know, it hasn't necessarily translated extremely well. I mean, he was good but not great in 2019. He slashed 255, 336, and below 400 slugs, not great hit 11 home runs, stole six bases. He does get pretty good pop considering his small frame. He's five foot seven, smaller dude, but he does have great bat-to-ball skills. He makes consistent contact. He's got a shorter swing, 
And you know, it, and I watched them at South Carolina, you know, many times live, and you just hit some bombs. So even with the smaller frame, I think he's got a good approach. I think that he can continue to develop, even though he's you know already 23 years old. So bias aside, like in the fact that you know I, it's easier to put someone on this list when you've watched them in person many times. And so with Cortez, it's a guy that you know I do feel a little more confident about because I have watched him live and in person. And I think that obviously the Mets really like what they saw because they drafted him out of high school and they came back and drafted him again out of college. You know, he, he signed with South Carolina. He was 20th round out of high school and then third round out of college in 2018. So, you know, I. Uh oh. Play outfield as well, so he could he kind of bounce around there, but. Cut out a little bit there. Oh, dang it. It's Brad. okay. It was a good rant. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I can, I can uh, talk about him again. If I don't know exactly back. where it cut off, but I'll just do the whole thing again. Seriously. Car- it's all good. Carlos Cortez, everybody. Be on the lookout. Um, intriguing USC, South Carolina guy. I, I think, I think we got enough there. I think you're good. Uh, one guy that kind of stands out for me at the back end of this, uh, top 20 here is Sam McWilliams, a guy that was signed um, from the Rays. He doesn't have any big league uh, big league service time. Um, this guy is six foot seven, huge presence on the mound, and uh, this could be before they signed all these depth pieces. Uh, it's, he may have been uh, like a spot starter guy, but I think this could be a very interesting bullpen piece for the Mets this year. Um, it sounds like he made some pitch mix changes in the past year or so, especially with the Rays, like they're known to do. Um, and I think he really benefited from that. It sounds like he completely ditched the two-seamer to focus on his four-seamer and slider combination. So I think that Sam McWilliams will be up quite a bit this year. Um, now, I'm curious if you know this, Chris. So he was signed to a major league deal. So what happened? So it, it, he's not completely guaranteed a spot and the major league roster, right? Like, would they be able to send him down? Does he have options? Do you know how that process would work? Yeah, I'm not sure how many options he has left, but if they do, like, they could they could send him down. He would just have to, like, clear through waivers. So they would have to run through waivers, and if nobody, no other team claimed him, then he could be outright into AAA. But I should look and see, like, how many options he does have because that does factor in. Yeah. But if he's out of options, then it's that process of saying, like, you know, Another team could claim you, but if nobody does, then we'll, then we'll outright you a triple-A. Yeah. It's just very rare for a player to be signed to a major league deal without any major league service time. So it's it shows that the Mets are high on him, and it sounds like they want to give him a spot. But with the way that they've been signing players and making deals this offseason, it makes me wonder if he is going to make this team. So I was curious if you knew about that. Yeah. But McWilliams, I think, is definitely a name to watch for this season. I think I think McWilliams and Killame are the ones that are really going to probably make a 2021 impact. And hopefully spring training is starting in the next week or two. Hopefully we don't have any setbacks because that 2020 season was just a complete mess uh, with that startup. So hopefully it's a little bit more of a... Uh, a normal, some more normalcy in 2021, even though it really still doesn't feel very normal. But that kind of wraps up um, this prospect episode. Chris, we really appreciate you joining us. We got a lot of. 
great info and analysis on some of these young guys. And, um, yeah, just thanks again for joining us. Where can everybody follow you and where can they find you uh, doing all this work that you've been doing lately? Yeah, of course, man. Well, thank you guys both. It's fun chatting with you guys. But uh, you can find all my written work over at Fantrax HQ. Find the podcast Fantrax Prospect Toolshed with Eric Cross. Just doing like this, talking about prospects. It's a great time. And Twitter at RotoCleg, C-L-E-G-G. You know, put a lot of stuff out, out there about prospects. You know, a lot of Mets stuff. Had a lot of Mets follows this week, so thank you. Nice little Mets bump <laughs> with all the Mets tweets I was putting out. So, yeah, fantastic work, guys. you got a passionate fan base, and it really shows. So, man, I had a great time. Thank you guys both. Hey, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you, Chris. Mets Twitter, always there to, to back you up when you have good Mets content to put out. <laughs> hey, hey, before we sign off, we got to clean this up. Kilome came over in the Cabrera trade in 2018. Cabrera. Not Jay Bruce. Okay. Bruce went Very to, good. um, Bruce went to Seattle. Cleveland. No, he went to Cleveland for Ryder Ryan. Oh, that worked out well. Yes. <laughs> the waiver deal. Well, thank you for clearing that up, Joe. I appreciate that. I had to. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks again, Chris, for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. So you can follow me on Twitter at Z. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe underscore MV. Joe, I, I always forget this. What, what, what the heck <laughs> yeah, is your right, Twitter again? It's, uh, it's at Joe underscore Mets BBC. Mets BBC. I'll get it right one day. <laughs> and of course, you can follow our, uh, our page on Twitter at Mets BB Carnival. Thank you guys again for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll speak to you soon.